Welcome to Elevated Insights, the podcast that takes you on a journey of personal growth. Join us each week as we explore how to overcome challenges, embrace opportunities, and transform your life. I'm your host, Val Hunting, and each week I speak with Angie Tumlinson, the thought leader and CEO of Elevate You Institute. Angie Tumlinson is a master of the transformative process and brings a fresh perspective to the outdated coaching paradigm. We hope you enjoy this podcast and look forward to exploring many opportunities and ideas with you. Good morning, Angie. Good morning. Welcome to another episode of Elevated Insights. I'm your host, Val Hunting. Today's topic is untangling the entanglement. And I'm just going to go straight over to you, Angie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's about relationships, right? right? And I know we've done one on relationships, but this is just a different different perception or different view or a different level of looking at relationships. And um, I think I think one thing that I've really appreciated is understanding that as I've had a goal or I've had a direction that I want to go in my life, of course, I just think everyone wants to do that with me. Of course. Everyone (laughs) wants to do it with me. And uh, because I get excited about the idea and I start going in the direction, then I just have this belief And what I end up doing is inviting people into my beautiful goal or my beautiful idea. And of course they have different perceptions of seeing it. Now I can, I can very much grow from all of those ideas, but I have to get very clear on what it is that I want. And what I've really realized is my relationship with people sometimes will override my own goal. I'll let go of my own goal and I am entangled in how I feel about them mm-hmm. rather than how I feel about my goal. And so now I do want to say this <laughs> before we get started. I am not a relationship expert. I am not a therapist. I am not any of these things. So I want to tell you who I am. I am a person who's navigating through this beautiful journey with everyone else and I'm studying myself. So I'm not here to offer any um, professional help. That's not what I'm here. We're having an elevated insight into things that we think about. There's some things that I'm pretty good at. Um, This is one that I'm learning on my own and I'm learning, well, I'm not learning on my own. I'm I'm trying to gain understanding from wiser people as well. And so, you know, it's interesting. Um, I've gone through a situation lately and of course I've been working through it and I've been on zooms to try and figure things out and um, for myself and, and what, what direction do I want to go? And your phone is listening your phone listens. If you have your phone on yeah. your desk, it listens. And wouldn't you know, all of a sudden pops up things on TikTok, <laughs> which has really got me thinking a lot. And so one thing I learned is that when you're entangled or you have this, this thing with other people is that um, things that kind of popped up were uh, ideas about addiction, believe it or not. I'm not sure. So I was really shocked at some of the things and, and maybe, maybe 
uh, something in my mind got turned on. I don't know. And I started seeing that where before I wouldn't see it. Um, but anyhow, I always thought of addictions as somebody else's problem out there. It's not because um, my limited understanding of addiction is, you know, alcohol, drugs, all of that. I don't, I don't do that. Um, I have one that's probably more socially acceptable, which is food. Uh, <laughs> a foodie, I'm a total foodie. Uh, but, um, and, and that's not, you know, as funny as that is, you know, it's, there's things that have been really difficult for me because of a lack of understanding food. Anyway, that's a whole other subject that we'll do sometime. But um, what I realized is that I started watching things about people who have addictions or um, not people who have addictions, but psychologists or therapists that are talking about addictions. And I learned that actually an addict is not a one person deal. It's actually a unit of people, a, a group of people mm. or a relationship between two people. And what I realized is um and I apologize if I say this incorrectly and I'm not speaking for all people. I'm just speaking from what I'm understanding about my situation right now is that a lot of times you can have somebody, uh, you can have a partnership and all of a sudden the partnership changes where now you begin to have a caretaker over an idea between the two people. So of course this is happening because uh, my father-in-law has passed away and my husband has been a caretaker for eight years and I, I started realizing his role in helping almost to the point he was directing, eating, getting up, taking a shower. You know, he was really directing a lot about my father-in-law's life towards the end. And um, it, he had been doing that habit for a while now, I would say almost a year. So what do you do now that that's gone? That energy it, that energy or that habit has to go someplace. And so um, without my husband really knowing it or me either, I started really realizing a little bit of intensity that started happening. First of all, yeah. my husband took a break and then there was a bit of intensity to detail that he was used to doing. And all of a sudden I would say, wait a minute, no, I don't want you doing that for me. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't want that. And so uh, he wasn't doing it in a big way. It was just small little things. I would go, hmm. Um, so I ended up saying, you know, I don't, I, I want to make sure that you're getting on with what you want to do. And so we came up with this idea that we do need somebody coming in and supporting us in some way. And so we're getting a, uh, uh, we call it a, a lifestyle engineer, <laughs> somebody that's going to help us with some things that we need. But in that idea, what I started realizing was the relationship that Matt and I had and how it needs to change. And so one thing that I realized is in a relationship when you're working, somebody can have care or concern and want to help with something. Mm -hmm. The other person receives it. And then sometimes the other person doesn't want to receive it anymore. And the more the person pulls away, I don't want to receive it. The more the other one chases and all of a sudden to elevate themselves out of the feeling they'll do something to to get out of the feeling of, I feel like I'm being controlled or I feel like I'm being directed and I don't like that feeling. And so they do something to alleviate the feeling. And this can be, 
this can be something like shopping or going for a run or eating chocolate or watching TV escapism or, you know, playing video games, or it can even look like I found a drug that, you know, soothes it. Um, the thing about the person that is, uh, that is doing something to alleviate the feeling is that they are actually trying to elevate themselves out of a situation. They're trying to let go of the feeling of, of I can't express myself. And so what happens then is that they start running to this idea. I can see myself doing this as well, running to this idea. And pretty soon this idea then starts controlling them. Mm-hmm. So then that idea begins to control the other person who, who wasn't, didn't realize they were controlling the other one. So now you have someone, now you have this, this addiction now is starting to control the other person. So then Mm. they don't like that. And so now they start, how do I start controlling that behavior? And then it escalates that the other person says, now I don't like that feeling and I'm going to escalate it more. And pretty soon you're just escalating this thing. And now this thing becomes all consuming. Yeah. And that is what's called an entanglement. Yes. Yes. It's an entanglement. And what happens is, is that um, this can lead to a really unhealthy and a codependence for who you are Mm -hmm. and you're codependent on one another. And this is where I started doing a little bit of research and I've, I've never attended uh, Al-Anon. So I'm very ignorant at what I'm speaking right now. Very ignorant. But what I did understand about Al-Anon is not so, I always thought it was a support group for people that are with people with addiction. That's, that's what I thought it was. But now I realize it's actually about, a codependent behavior of having to Mm. control things and um and you start you learn to stop controlling things and walk away from things Mm -hmm. and man that was really powerful for me it was really really powerful for me Mm. and i started realizing what would happen if um i think this is what happened with me and my family is we had a way of doing things in our family. And when I decided that I was going to go after what I wanted to, I stopped doing things that my family, I, my relationship with the way I did things with my family, I stopped it. And it was really hard for my family to figure out what was I doing. It was yeah. a really, it was a really um, simple thing, a simple idea. So as a mother, my, my girls were in their late teens and I decided that I was going to become a coach and I left our restaurant and I started studying how could I become a coach or how could I start making the kind of money that I wanted. And all of a sudden I was at home all the time where before I was at our restaurant or I was, you know, doing things and I was never at home, but I was at home. And while I was at home, all of a sudden this habit started that mom's at home and she can do the dishes, she can do the laundry, she can do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was always doing it before, but it really dawned on me that I didn't want to spend time doing that anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And everyone was capable of doing it. So I had a meeting with my family and I said, I'm going to start working on another project in my life where I want to become you know, a, a, a coach. And so I'm going to spend time studying and here's what I would love support with or here it was really, this is what I would love support with. I said, I do not want to do the dishes anymore or create, create meals anymore or go grocery shopping anymore or 
do your laundry or clean the bathrooms or anything. And so I ended up saying, I would like to be able to earn enough money that I can hire a housekeeper and you just need to have your room clean so that the housekeeper could come. Mm -hmm. And so pretty soon uh, we started making who would make meals. And of course that schedule fell apart because they weren't interested in changing and getting on board with this idea. And yeah. so I just stopped doing dishes. And yeah. so I remember one day sitting at the counter, I'd gotten it all cleaned up and I walked uh, away and was studying and everybody came home after school and just made a mess in the kitchen and left it. And mm-hmm. I started, I went, Oh man, I started cleaning it up and I went, no, At that moment I went, no, it starts today. And so I called the girls and I said, you know, um, remember, I'm not going to clean the kitchen. So you you got to clean up after yourself. And they looked at me like I was crazy. And they <laughs> rather than, uh, and I probably didn't handle it the best either. Uh, but I just remember it was a fight to get them to clean it up. Well, I got yeah. stuff to do. And I said, yeah, it doesn't matter. You've got to figure out a way to not do this. It got to the point where I stopped talking about the kitchen. And really, I would just get my plate out and fix my meal. <laughs> And then wash that plate and put it back away. (laughs) And our our kitchen got very nasty. It got very nasty and it got very, you know, gross. Uh, We had made a plan, but nobody followed the plan. And so, um, and also the laundry piled up. I stopped doing the laundry. I stopped cleaning different things. If the rooms or the bathrooms weren't picked up, the housekeeper didn't go in there and clean. So, of course, things, yeah, it really got very (laughs) quiet. Where really yeah. she was only cleaning my bedroom and our bathroom and my office, but everything got a little bit, you know, not, not kept well. And it's like a, it's like a test of boundaries, you know, pushing boundaries because it's like who can hold out the longest. And, mm-hmm. and I think it's a little bit unconscious, but it is, you know, they, they, they mentioned that behavior about children, about how they're constantly, you know, testing boundaries about, you know, what they can get away with. And, um, and I think, you know, that habit is always there with your parents. And I think very unconsciously, they weren't consciously being like, who can hold out the longest mom will eventually do the dishes. But, (laughs) but it is a little bit of the same thing of like, um, just getting used to Mm -hmm. the caretaker in the family, getting fed up and eventually solving the problem. I, I, I'm a, I've have been, I'm not so much anymore, have been a huge caretaker. And that would be my behavior because I couldn't stand to live in a dirty house. So I would eventually always cave, you know? And so good on you for holding that line because I can appreciate that'd be really difficult. (laughs) It was very, very difficult. And I would become frustrated and I would get um, more vocal and more, um, volume intensity, uh, for sure. And then, um, I remember that my husband just broke and he just got everybody rounded up and everybody got going on it. But as long as Matt started saying it, then, then it was, then it would work. And then it got to the point where Matt didn't want to say it either. It was like, everybody's responsible here. Let's yeah. get on with it. Um, and we didn't understand the change mechanics that was happening with our children as they were getting older and making decisions. And so they were making decisions and I was living in the chaos of their decisions, trying to clean up all the time. Mm. Um, and this happened with really simple things like, you know, my daughter had some money and she was going to get a car. And anyhow, I said, you know, I gave my, my belief about it that, you know, 
um, have this money that you're going to have a car, go get a reliable car um, that you can make payments on. So get a new car. And she was like, no, what happens if I can't make the payments? I said, but you got like six months stored up here. Let's go ahead and just make payments. She had actually more like a year, but she ended up buying a car at full price. You know, it was less and then it kept breaking down. So uh, she would be out late doing things and we would get a call. Hey, something's gone wrong. Can you come? And we would go there and we would use our BCAA um, for our family member. We would be there and we'd have to be there in the moment. And <laughs> we did several nights of this for about a month. And then I finally said, no, this was your decision. You get your own BCAA. Yep. We are not getting up in the middle of the night because what happened then is my husband locked his car keys in the car <laughs> and we had used up all of our BCAA. <laughs> so I went, Oh no, not no, yeah. no way. This is not happening. Yeah. And so, um, another thing that happened is because I had, we had a restaurant at the time and, uh, I, my husband said, no, you, you work on the things that you need to do. He was in agreement with it. And I kept saying, now, if I'm gone, you you need to hire somebody because we have this big event coming up and he just didn't get around to it. And I would remind him if I would nag him about it is really what was happening. I would control the situation and tell him, be sure and get this person hired. And he would say, you know, I just, I don't have time. I don't have time. Well, it came down the, the day before the event and it was going to be like an 18 hour catering. If you, if you understand caterings or big weddings, like it's yeah, a big deal. Big day. And so um, he said, I'm going to need you to come in and help. And I said, no. Mm. And I will tell you, that was one of the hardest things that I ever did. I probably spent time. Well, I know I spent time on the couch crying, feeling bad because I knew what he was going to do. He was going to work so hard that day, everyone to where your body hurt, even the sheets. When you came home, your body would ache so bad. You couldn't go to sleep. That is the kind of day that was going to be on your feet that long. Yeah. And it is, I'll tell you, um, I think, I think in those situations, dare I say, having been there myself, the caretaker actually suffers more because mm -hmm. um, I, I was in a um, very long relationship um, and I was a supreme caretaker and my partner at the time, you know, to the point where, um, you know, I would, I, I never expected us to split expenses equally or anything like that just because of the income disparity. Um, but I, I paid for, so much, um, you know, I put him through, um, a design web design course and all these things. And then he, he just didn't have the self image and the self esteem to then follow that up with, you know, he always had excuses about Actually, why he didn't yeah. do jobs. And then I stuck with the debt and then, you know, and so then the very, what I considered very meager amount of things like rent, you know, there were many instances where he would just say, I don't know what's happened this month, but I can't pay rent, you know? And so I would always cover it because of course the bills had to be paid. And so I never put up any boundaries or just basically did that thing where it's like, well, this was your decision. I don't know what's happened, but you've got to find the money somewhere else. Not me. You know, those were the conversations mm -hmm. I should have been having. I would sit down with him regularly and tell him how distressed I was about finances and how like, you know, I was going into debt to keep us afloat and blah, blah, blah. 
but because for him there were no consequences, um, there was no change. And what happened in my case was, you know, I try, I tried to end this relationship a few times. And finally the time where it was successful, I had gotten so angry, but it was all pent up inside of me, you know, and the way that I ended that relationship was the most horrific thing I think I've ever done to a human being. Like it was not pretty. It was not dignified. It was not graceful or respectful, but I, I, because I had failed to recognize what was happening and set those boundaries, that was my last resort, you know, and it's almost like in that moment though, in watching myself behave that way, it was, um, it was devastating for me to, to have done that. Mm -hmm. And, but that's where I have to take accountability for where that relationship was. But I think, you know, that's a classic case of entanglement and, and almost, you know, almost an addictive type of that very much codependent relationship mm-hmm. yeah. stuff going on. Yeah. It, it was really interesting because I made the changes. This is a thing that I had to come yeah. to a realization. I decided I was going to make the change. And in that decision, you're forcing another person to change the yes. paradigm, change an idea. Yeah. And this is when I sat down and I talked with everybody and I said, this is what I want to do. And everyone was in agreement, but they hadn't built a habit on it yet. And so yeah. my habit to keep going in and rescuing while they were building their habit was the place where you really realized, you know, I didn't understand cause and effect. When I started learning that law of cause and effect, and actually I had just the best, best person uh, teach me just through the smallest thing with her son is um, uh, she ended up telling this story about her son was little, a little guy. And uh, every day she would go to work and he would go to daycare. And so she would let him know, here's the time that we're going to leave. And he would know, and she would help him with the clock and go in and give him moments of, Hey, we have 10 minutes or we have five minutes. Of course, they don't know what time is at that point, but you mm-hmm. want to be able to say you have time to do this. So you want to get that going. Anyhow, uh, he had gotten his backpack together. He'd gotten himself dressed, everything. And then they go out, they get ready to leave on time. Everything's great. And all of a sudden at the door, the little child says, I don't want to wear my boots. It was winter time. Mm-hmm. I don't want to wear my boots. I don't want to put them on. They're hard to put on. And he just didn't want to do it. And so rather than arguing with him, she said, okay, I'm all right. If you don't want to wear your boots, can you just carry them with you in case later in the day you want them? You don't have to wear them. And so he was like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. So they walked outside. He walked through the snow in his socks. Oh. Yep. And they got in the car and they were driving. And, and of course I would have been fuming as a parent. I I can tell you as, as she's telling the story, I'm fuming already. And then pretty soon the little guy says, you know what? I don't think I'm going to do that again. She goes, Oh, what do you mean? And he said, I think I need to wear my boots from now on. And she said, Oh, why is that? And he said, cause my socks are wet and I don't like the feeling my, my feet are cold and wet. And she was like, Oh, now see, I already felt myself in the car with, with the, the situation yelling, saying, see, I told you so. And now you're going to have wet socks. Now we got to turn around and get you clean, dry socks. Let's go. And I would have, uh, this is what I would have done. And as I was listening to this, she kept really, really calm. And she goes, wow, buddy, 
you know, you're going to, you know, I totally understand that. I hope everything goes well at, at, at daycare today or at, I don't know if it's daycare or preschool. can't remember, but anyhow. So she allowed him to have the cause and effect of having wet socks all day long to know the feeling of that was a decision that he made and that was the right thing to do. And how many times do we want to come in and control someone's decision and we don't let them live in the true cause and effect? Oh man. And how many, how much could you transform, you know, because um, all of us would, I know I'm not even a parent and I would have been like, you can't go without your boots. Your socks will be wet. You know, like, <laughs> and, and they're like, they don't care in that moment. Cause it doesn't mean anything to them. All it is, is like you going, you know, at them, you know, exactly. yeah, that's awesome. But at the same time in this relationship, she was telling him what to do. And he was dependent on her telling him what to do, which why when they got to the door, he said, I, I've had enough of being told what to do. I'm going to make a decision for myself. And she said, rightly so. Yeah. I am really okay with you not wearing your shoes. You can do that, but we're going to grab your boots anyway. Uh, I'm okay if you don't wear them all day long. And so how many of us would have said, no, you have to do that. I I have done this. This is why I know, because this was the behavior that I had with my own children. I know better. And I'm your mother. Do what I tell you to do. And instead it's no. Okay. You want to do that. But then we take on the responsibility of their failure. That's what a codependent person does, which that's what I have done over and over with my family. And um, (laughs) so how do you make the changes? So this is one of the things I just wanted to go back to the idea when I became uh, a coach is um, I had to walk away from the way my family system was working. And I had to say, this is right for me. Yes, I realize I live with all of you. And I realize this has been a habit, but I would not go back. And that was really hard with the moment with Matt, when I said to him, I am not going in to help you with this catering. This was your decision. Yes. It was cause and effect. I wanted to help you when I left to hire somebody and you wouldn't, you wouldn't comply with me. And so I can't hire somebody you, you should work with. You've got to be able to decide that. And it was just this moment in time. So as I started working <laughs> at what I was doing and I kept my results to myself, well, I started making 50 grand a month. Mm-hmm. After a couple months of me making the decision, this is what I want to be. The only one that knew that was my husband because of our mm-hmm. bank account. Mm-hmm. And he was sort of angry because the house was messy. Things weren't well, you know, but I held the vision of what I wanted. And my goal was 50,000 a month. And I held the vision of what I wanted and I did not get entangled with everybody else's energy. I just, yes. stuck my own. that's the first time I've ever really done that where I really, and I, I did my best not to get angry, but my family had an intervention (laughs) (laughs) and they had a family meeting and they sat down and they saw their dad still going to work and working really, really hard. And I was at home in my pink fluffy house coat, uh, working and studying and meeting with clients through zoom at the time I was doing it through zoom and my kids didn't know the cause and effect and the results in my bank account. So they sat down and we, they said, we want to have a meeting because we think this is really unfair the way mom is treating all of us and that 
you're doing all the work and um, it's really unfair. Mm. And, so, and so they were, they were telling their dad, get on board with us because let's bully mm. her into doing what we want her to do. Yeah. And my husband had this discernment at the moment and he was like, huh, she's learning to have conversations and help people where she's really good at helping with less time and is able to make more money. So between us working 160 hours each, over 160 hours, because really we worked about 50 to 60 hours, but let's do 50 hours a week times four, that's 200 hours actually, 200 hours. He was working 200, I was working 200, and we were bringing home 5,000 Canadian a Which month. Which is just ridiculous, yeah. It was really hard. We were the working poor, and that is not what I went to college for. That is not why I did all of these no. things. But I had some some ideas that were not serving me, which one of them was you got to work really hard for your money. And this is where I learned what happens if I didn't. I started asking myself different questions. And so when we sat down, my husband had this moment where everything came together and he built this new image of how we could do our life. And he said, he was really good. He said to the girls, I really appreciate you telling how you feel, but do you know how much money your mother has made in the last couple of months because she's been doing this? And they said, no. And he said, she's been making about $50,000 a month. Well, <laughs> I bet that's what the up. <laughs> that changed everything. But it also changed for my husband where he was like, instead of being angry that I wasn't doing things, he was like, wow, this is really good that you're doing this. How can we support you? Yeah. Yeah. And that's all of a sudden this shift happened. And what I realized is, is that uh, the house didn't get better overnight. Can I just tell you? Um, but I started realizing that, my family didn't quite get on board with me still. Mm -hmm. But what happened was I began to say, this is how I want the kitchen done. And, and the kitchen wouldn't get done that way, but someone would remind someone else, listen, you left this here. And yeah. now that yeah. now we had a group effort of getting on board with a new idea. And yeah. um, pretty soon we started doing sort of a self-regulating where yeah. we were helping one another. Now I had a couple of my daughters, they didn't like cleaning their rooms. And so it was that I was okay that they didn't clean their room. I stopped talking about their room. I stopped having uh, opinions about their room and how they should live, but their bedroom didn't get cleaned and neither did the bathroom get clean. If the bathroom was dirty or the bedroom was dirty. And then pretty soon they didn't have clothes to wear. Mm. And so then they would be frustrated and I would hear them and I would say, I, man, I hear you're really frustrated. I totally see that and hear that. And I could empathize with how they would feel. And then I would ask them, well, what, what would you like? Well, I would like clean clothes. Okay. What could you do to create clean clothes? And then it would be this moment. I know it sounds so silly, but it would be in this moment where they actually would be empowered and say, well, I could start doing laundry. <laughs> or I could throw my laundry in with, you know, my sister and maybe I'll fold if she'll wash and put away. Like we, all of a sudden they started solving things in a new way. I didn't have to tell them how to solve it. Yeah. Just yeah. ask them, well, what, what, so I started giving 
I guess what you could call the love that heals. I read a book about that at one point, giving the love that heals is learning to have conversation where you're not controlling it, but you're actually empowering them. Yeah. I understand. So I didn't tell them, well, it's your fault that you live in that way. I would say I, that would be frustrating. I can hear yeah. you. Yeah. And I didn't solve it for them. And I asked them, well, what would you like? What would you like? And well, I'd like to have clean laundry. And how, how can you do that? And sometimes it would be, can't you just put them in? And I would say, yeah, I, it's a decision that I've made. I'm not doing that anymore. So what's another way you could do it? So the codependency came back in of trying to control. Yes. And, and this is where you need the other person to say, I hear that you are frustrated. I hear that you do want something different. I'm not the reason. I was having a conversation with um, somebody the other day. I really appreciated this because this happened to me as well. I'm, I grew up where being a, a wife, um, your husband is the head of the home. And, <laughs> and I'm a helpmate. And what I realized is I took a literal translation, you know, a little literal idea in the Bible. And I started living by that. And I realized that doesn't work. The more I started studying myself, I realized it wasn't talking about husbands and wives. It was talking about um, personality, not personality, um, about the masculine and feminine. It wasn't talking about that's the role I must play. It was mm. talking about the psychology of a husband has physical things uh, back in Jesus' time, physically, they could go out and do more. And so there was other things that a woman would do to support that physicality. Today, we don't do things physical like that. So we can do things differently. And so I started realizing that the role of physicality uh, played a big thing on me earning money. <laughs> I didn't yeah. have to do the physicality. So I didn't I, that supporting role wasn't about male or female. It was about masculine energy and feminine energy. Yeah. And I started doing all these kinds of things. And this is where I started learning about um, to stop controlling people and learning to allow people and understanding the difference in the f masculine and feminine energy. I don't mean male and female energy. I mean, masculine and feminine energy of thought. And, so in the codependence uh, relationship, there's masculine and feminine energy and they're out of balance where we have masculine yeah. masculine. So then we're fighting and then we don't know how to drop down and support somebody, but we also don't want to be a whipping post and we want to be able to change masculine feminine energy so we can have a wholeness. Mm -hmm. And when it's masculine, masculine or feminine, feminine, Masculine just means a force start. Feminine energy is receivership, uh, where you get in line with the idea or you agree to the idea. So I started really realizing as I surround myself with people um, in relationships to understand the change mechanics of masculine feminine energy so that I understand the role of, of not being codependent on somebody. And when you recognize that things are being controlled, you and you may find you are controlling things without meaning to control it, you you get better at asking the question, well, what would happen if you could get what you want? And so I started getting much better at that, even to the point where, you know, a year a year after that conversation, I retired my husband from our restaurant. 
and he came in and now he had to figure out who he was and uh you know to support him in that role or that identity um you know i was told as a woman you know you don't you don't usurp your authority you don't you don't um tell a male what to do you need to not be seen you know you're your helpmate and yet here i was earning this money and it made it actually made him unhappy for a while because it was i like the money coming in but my role is supposed to be this and who yeah. said who said that was your role so we had to really look we had outgrown that paradigm and we had to look at it differently and so but however at the same time my role was i am a helpmate so at moments when i needed to shine i was afraid to shine because i didn't want to outshine something so yeah. i was having a conversation with somebody the other day and they said uh, they had a relationship with somebody that um you know she was taught don't outshine don't you know always make him look good always and anyhow it ended up that they separated but she started dating somebody else. And when she was dating someone else, they had went to an event and anyhow, uh, a message came back that said, you really shined. You really shined tonight. Mm -hmm. And immediately she said, and I have done this too, where if people have given me a compliment, told me that I shined and I immediately went, Oh no, <laughs> that's wrong. I can't yeah. be that way. And all of a sudden I started, you know, uh, and she just said, at first I went through this whole scenario in myself and I've done the same thing. I can't outshine somebody. I, I ended up having a coach uh, the other day also say to me that um, when she shows up, you know, other coaches are like, you know, you outshine us, you know, and I don't feel comfortable with that. And she was like, how do I stop that? And I said, you don't, that's somebody controlling you because they haven't learned to shine themselves. How can you help them begin to shine for themselves. There's no competition. That's the thing. Yeah. We're only in creation. And a lot of relationships get to a competitiveness of who's going to be in charge. Mm -hmm. This is where you have to be able to say, no, no one outshines anybody. We all shine. How can I help you shine? Well, and I also think, well? and I know we've talked about this before, but that, that whole thing of being amazing, you know, um, mm a lot of cultures, you know, New Zealand's very good. They call it tall poppy. I know I've mentioned this before, very alive and well, where it's like, you know, settle down. Who do you think you are? So it's a yeah. little bit of like, um, and, and I had developed a habit of apologizing for success yeah. or yeah. downplaying success or whatever, yeah. you know? And, um, I feel like that's because there's a, there's a, a culture view that it's, egotistical and arrogant to shine brightly and be happy for yourself about it. You yeah. know, um, I, I can say like, I'm, it's something that's, I've really been sort of casting off lately yeah. and getting rid of because I'm doing so many things because I'm like, I've always wanted to do all these things and express fully and see what I could do, you know? And, um, and it's part of the expansion of what is possible for myself. Yeah. You know, why, why wouldn't you want to shine? Like, <laughs> you know, well, here's a lot of, here's a terminology that's thrown around a lot. I, I'm guilty of this as well. I'm, I'm going to be really, really honest. Um, that person is really narcissistic. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. Of and course. so we get, there is a narcissism when people want to keep you down 
and they let you know your brightness really impedes my ability to be seen or whatever. And, you know, and so um, what's really interesting is like, no, actually I'm okay to be seen. And I've had people even say back to me, well, you're just being a narcissist right now because you won't do what I want you to do. And I don't want you to shine and you want to shine. And so you're being selfish because you're outshining me and you're like, and you're calling me the narcissist right there. Exactly. I'm not even thinking about you. How Which is another, that? another entanglement, right? Like it's another a, entanglement. Yeah. And so yeah. I would, I would remove myself from it and I would think, Oh God, you're right. I'm, I'm, I, I, it's terrible for me to be good at what I do. You're right. If I'm good and I make you feel bad, that's my fault. Yeah. That, that's a oh. dependency that is something where yeah. you have to be able to say, actually, I would be more than happy for you to shine. How can I help you with that? I, oh, what a great response to something like that, you know, because I feel, I feel like you're right. The first thing that comes up is guilt. Like that's that whole shame, thing. Guilt. Shame and guilt. Shame oh my God. I, yeah. I, I'd made myself more important than you. And it's like, actually, I hadn't, I wasn't thinking about it that way at all. But it's how the other person codependently needs for you to dull yourself yes. down to meet me where I am dulled down. And I don't like that you're outshining me. Yes. Yes. No, no, exactly. no, no, no. So this entanglement that happens, um, you want to untangle the entanglement and you want to be able to say, you know, you don't want to get caught up in their reasoning. Their reasoning is what's causing them to not get what they want. Now you can't tell them, listen, your reasoning sucks. You can't do that. (laughs) When, when this is happening for you. So here's before Matt and I got married, we um, went to marriage counseling (laughs) and I will tell you the only thing that I remember, the only thing I remember and Matt and I practice it even to this day is when this happens, not say when you do this, it's when this happens in my life, I feel this way. Yes. And the other person can say, wow, I know I never intended for you to feel that way. What can I do to help you get on with what you want? How can I help you? Because it's, you're asking for support. I, when I'm in this situation, so what, what's happening when you're doing that for another person, when you're involving another person by saying, when I feel this way, when this happens, I feel this way, is first of all, you're, you're letting them know I'm struggling with something. Mm-hmm. And here's the other thing. When the person really cares about you, what they hear is, oh, you're betraying your potential. How can I help you not betray your potential? Mm-hmm is essentially what is, is happening. Mm -hmm. And so if you cannot let it affect you and make yourself small and you could say, Oh, I can see how that can happen. Is there another way we could look at it? Is there Mm -hmm. another way of evaluating yourself? Because I don't evaluate that you that way, but what would happen is I, I remember saying this to Matt, when you, when this happens, not you, but when this happens, I feel this way. And I would see my husband start dulling himself down because he wanted me to feel better. That's not the healthy way to do that. No the healthy way is to say, Oh, I see you want to be here too. What can I do to help you with that? Yeah. 
What can I do? I, I know how I, I can only imagine how that feels. I wouldn't like that feeling either. So what can I help you do to express yourself better? I want to support you in that, but you're not caretaking them. You're helping them stand in their own empowerment. Yes. And that's where you can untangle the entanglement is when you're there to empower somebody towards what they want. Now, the cause and effect of, you know, there were times when I would say to Matt, when, when this happens, I feel this way. And I would say, I feel like you're doing it on purpose. I feel like you don't care about me. I would do all this stuff. I would do everything to, as a codependent, make him dull himself down. Yeah. And you've got to be able to have the discernment to say, wow, I am not their cause and effect of doing that. They are their own cause and effect. And we're so concerned. Listen, this may really get people to either love what I'm saying or not. I don't know. We may lose, we may lose people on this. But this was the first time in history with COVID, for example, uh, and and I don't I'm not having a discussion about COVID, but it was the first time as as I observed that we made healthy people unsafe. Mm-hmm. We made healthy people unsafe, and that was that was really a, a very difficult thing for me to be able because I have a real big belief that I'm healthy. Yeah, and it was like if you really cared about me, you would you would do this because you could be unhealthy. So then I had to take on the role of you're right. I could be unhealthy, and I didn't like that feeling. Mm. I didn't like the feeling, and this was the first time we'd really established things in this way that I was aware yeah. of in the history of 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 doing that. You know, it's like me being overweight and saying everyone who's skinny can no longer eat sugar. <laughs> I have found that obese people (laughs) aren't good with sugar. And so everyone has to not eat sugar when somebody who is, who doesn't have an issue with sugar now all of a sudden has to give up sugar because I say it is, this is how much of a, of a shift in the thinking of a codependence that we aren't even realizing that we're doing, it's happening on a larger scale as well. Well, I was just going to say, I think that whole, that's, that really did open the floodgates for, um, for people who do not understand entanglement to uh, make a lot of things another person's fault in many areas, not just COVID or whatever, but it it made it then okay to say you're not doing this and therefore, or you are doing what you're doing or not doing. Mm -hmm. And you're, it's your fault that it's impacting my life. And it's Mm -hmm. like, we opened up the the floodgates to codependent dysfunction in the whole society. (laughs) You, if you, if you know sugar doesn't work for you, don't buy things with sugar. I had to have that realization for myself. And instead you have people saying this manufacturer is wrong because they do sugar and don't buy those things. Yeah. Go buy the things that work best for you. I've had to learn how to do that for myself. Yeah. I've had to learn to say, listen, I have learned so many, le- I call it lessons on the hill. For the walking. Yes. For walking. I've learned lessons on the hill where I, man, I had a really poor attitude about, exercise and health. I thought it was about punishment. So I would look at people and I'd say, I don't like that you like to punish yourself so much and you feel like you have to exercise, relax. You know, and I started putting my belief system on everybody. Of course, everybody would put their belief system on me. And then one day I thought, 
okay, that's it. I got to look at walking different. Do you know what I've come to the realization of walking? I or exercise. I was actually punishing myself because I would think if I want to get this weight off or if I want to, if I want to change, if I want to change things, I got to punish myself to know, don't do that. Yeah. If you don't want to run or you don't want to walk or you don't want to do these things and don't eat that. So I was in this negative spiral down Mm -hmm. and I was really in the gap of things. And I had to come to a realization that, wow, I started walking. And one thing I decided I was going to use gratitude in my walking. And I had never done that before, but I started realizing that I actually don't walk to lose weight. I actually have learned to walk for agility. Yeah. Oh my word. (laughs) And I, I also started learning that I don't have to do these big, long, long walks and everything, but my ability to do the simplest things as bend over and tie my shoes on the floor like, like just standing yeah. instead of putting yeah. my leg up or my ability to go up a hill and, and use all of my, my body and not today, today marks the first day I made it up my hill perfectly. Congratulations! <laughs> and I, I, yes. And I got to the top and I was like, this is how I want to feel at the top of the hill. That's and so awesome. I had about four little places on this hill that I needed to do a change mechanic for how I was doing it. And I finally got those. It took me two months to figure out this one hill of walking five days a week, taking, you know, Saturday, Sunday off, which is a paradigm that I have, but anyway, um, (laughs) taking, taking two days off, but it took me really over two months to figure out how to conquer this hill. And it was doing small things in a big way and understanding them change mechanics. I'm going to do that now as a habit. Yeah. So that one day I won't have to look at this little landmark right here to shift my thinking and, or shift the way I do things. I'll feel it in my body. Cause that's what got me. I started noticing as I was going up the hill, I had this, um, I have this, there's a BC hydro, um, thing. And then there's a mailbox, a group of mailbox things. And then there's a fire hydrant and then there's a manhole. And so <laughs> I start, start at the bottom of the hill. I'm taking normal strides and I get to the BC hydro thing. And I realize I need to slow my pace down. And then when I get to the mailbox, I realize I need to take smaller steps. And yeah. then when I get to the fire hydrant, I know I need to engage my my thighs and really get going, keep the pace, but really engage my thighs. And then I get to the manhole and I have done the sequence. It took me a long time to figure out that sequence. Yeah. Where I wasn't up there just panting my just, guts yeah. out and, you know, ready to pass out. So this is the same thing in relationships. Yeah. In relationships, you have to observe when you get to certain areas and say, okay, this is a change mechanic right here. Here's an opportunity. I can feel this happening. How do I help a person get what they want and not be the one that does it? Yeah. How do I recognize what they're really asking for and not let my ego get in the way? And so as you do relationships or as you do conversations, you're going to get to the point where, okay, I, you check in. I feel good about this. Ooh, I don't feel good here. Mm. I find that, or I'm, I'm not feeling good about how I'm contributing or what they're saying. And you want to be able to say, Oh, they're asking for something and I'm falling in line with giving them what they want. Yeah. And that's not healthy for me. Yeah, exactly. So anyhow, I hope that's helpful. We'll keep talking about relationships, but, um, 
<laughs> yeah, learning to untangle the entanglements is really learning how to understand moments of dependency that we have on one another to fix each other. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And I think the other thing I want to say before we close is there are there are moments also cuz cuz I before we got on the call I talked about this about you know, there are relationships, family relationships, where once you separate and you're not around those relationships every single day, you know, there, there may be events or moments like weddings that bring you together and you get to see the entanglement that your members of your family still have with one another. And, you know, because you have a little bit more awareness and there's a whole other sort of exercise, which we won't get into here, but just something to think about is, you know, when you recognize those and observe those, the natural instinct, because the last time you were all together, is that you dive right back into your role in those entanglements um, as well. You know, so it's not just between your immediate relationships that you deal with every day. It's maybe relationships that you you um, don't get to see very often. But that's another tripping point, I think, because... Yeah you can very easily, because it was comfortable, get sucked into this whole drama and entanglement that those two people have not undone. <laughs> and yeah. that's not your cause and effect either. Yeah. And we're not, we don't have time to talk about it this week. But I think this whole idea, this is what I love, so all I'm going to say, is this whole idea of entanglement. It's like, um, uh, I don't even want to say the layers of an onion. I actually want to say like a spider web where you start with your immediate web around you and then it's extending and extending and extending until you get to the point where you can recognize entanglements super quickly um, with remote relationships or acquaintances and I think that's the expansion where you want to be headed that's kind of my point (laughs) yeah no I think it's it's really important to notice that I I notice that when like when when Sam's funeral happened, we did have families come, and there was a couple of moments where things didn't quite go right because of an entanglement, and it was really from a past experience, but it mm. triggered something. And you know, I would say for myself, I even had a failure. I had a couple of failures in re- in mm. response to things because of my entanglement or my need to control things or my need to be heard or whatever. And I had to realize, wow, I was trying to force them to behave in a way where I that's not a place to go for. And no. I, you know, you you have to kind of learn about that. And I'm really grateful for the experience. And I actually, I had one conversation with my daughter and I ended up calling her back and saying, you know, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to go through that. Mm -hmm. And I realized what happened and I want to just thank you for it Mm -hmm. and the experience. And then we were able to talk about it and really you can see the codependence that we had about mm. a mother daughter relationship. And, you know, I'm not, her, I I'm, I'll always be her mother, but I'm not her mommy. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so I was trying to be her mommy and, um, and she was trying to be an adult and I, I didn't, I didn't see the change mechanic at the time. Yeah. And so I had to go back and honor her and say, you know, I, I wanted just to let you know I did see this and I, I failed miserably. So <laughs> took responsibility. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Those, yeah. those are the best moments. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Well, what a fascinating subject. And I'm sure we'll touch on, 
entanglements in somewhere or another in the future because it's a huge huge thing it is anyway. it's a huge thing and it will it will get you off track of what you want to do until you say wow yes. wow 100 yeah 100 thanks val thank you <laughs> have a good weekend We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Elevated Insights. If you are interested in working with Angie Tomlinson, go to our website at angietomlinson.com. Here you can book a call, join her free webinar, or find out more information about the services that Angie provides. 